everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Why Marketing Podcast. My guest today is Stephen Fund, the former CMO at Intel, who led the efforts to revitalize that brand. So Stephen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Rusty. Really appreciate it. Glad you're able to jump on with me. I've got a lot of questions to ask you, uh, mainly about the, your experience with transforming brands that you've done at both Intel and, and Staples. But before we jump into that, I was hoping you could just kind of share with everyone your background and how you ended up getting into marketing in the first place. Sure. I'm, a, I'm really a career-long marketer. I started out my very first job at a business school was in consulting. And I went into consulting to help me figure out what it is I was good at, what it is I like to do. And I quickly figured out that I wasn't great at any one thing, but I was pretty good at a lot of things. So I was not the most analytic, not the most strategic, not the most creative, but I was pretty good across the board. And I felt like marketing was something that requires a myriad of skills, which I had. And it was also, quite frankly, going to be a long journey to work. And marketing is just a, a really fun discipline to get involved with. So I, I set out on path on marketing and have been doing it ever since. Where was that aha moment probably when you like going through that, you were doing consulting, then I believe you went over to PepsiCo, correct? I did. Yeah. Was there like that, like something just jumped out and said, all right, I'm going to be a marketer at this point that just grabbed you. It was what I was saying before that, you know, I kind of looked at all the consultants at McKinsey and I said, you're going to work Steve for about 40 more years. And it's a, it's a long time horizon and you want to do something that you really enjoy and you want to do something that you're going to have fun with. And, of all the different projects that I had worked on at McKinsey, I did a couple of marketing related projects and they were just by far the most fun. So I said, this is what I want to do. That's awesome. Uh, it certainly has worked out for you. <laughs> yeah, it has. So then after you left McKinsey and you went to PepsiCo. Yeah. So I worked at PepsiCo for about nine years and I had um, great experience there. I got to work across the entire portfolio. I worked on some new products that never made it to market, some new products that did make it to market some smaller established brands like Mug and Slice, and then all the way up to the Pepsi trademark. So I got really good broad-based um, exposure. And, you know, Pepsi back in the, in the 90s um, was just an amazing marketing company with just incredible talent. So I went in there without a lot of marketing experience and got to learn literally from the best, the best marketers on the planet. So it was just an amazing experience for me. And it was the late 90s, and I was doing really well at Pepsi, but like, like everybody else, you're always thinking, how can I learn something new? How can I do something different? And, you know, in 1999, when I left Pepsi, there was this thing called the internet. And the internet was about four years old at the time. And a lot of people that I really respected at Pepsi, um, our CMO, Brian Sweetie, went to eBay. And I remember all the people at Pepsi were talking about, why would he do that? This guy's literally like the best marketer in the world and has the best marketing job. And he went to a company at that time that was unknown. And in short order, we quickly realized why he went there. Um, and just an incredible thing to see. And it just got everybody to really think about what it is that we can do to further our skills. And you know, I looked at, I looked at the internet as something that was gonna be pervasive throughout my marketing career and something in digital marketing I, I didn't see going away. And I wanted to get in on the ground floor of this global phenomenon and just learn skills that I knew would help me for the rest of my marketing career. So I, uh, I, hopped, on, I hopped on the internet train and I went to a uh, early stage internet pioneer, I would call it, a company called Lycos. At the time, it was you know, the second biggest internet company that existed. It was bigger than Yahoo. Google it was pre-Google days. So there's really AOL, MSN, Excite, a bunch of different kinds of companies that no longer exist and Lycos. And it was just 
it was an amazing ride and an amazing experience. And I just learned a ton about digital marketing that has helped me ever since. What was probably the most memorable thing that you worked on while you were at Lycos? <laughs> um, we, um, we were trying to just raise the profile of the brand and drive awareness. And we were, th- we were looking at what people were searching on. And the number one searched on athlete at the time was Anna Kornikova. And she was wildly popular with people looking at pictures and content and all of that. And we said, you know, she's someone that we should establish a relationship with because that's just such a great hook that she's the most searched on athlete. And, you know, the statistic was something like she got twice as many searches as Michael Jordan, Derek Jeter, and all these amazing athletes at the time. So we did. We went out and we, we established a, a relationship with her and um, we had a lot of fun with her. And I think it really helped drive the profile and awareness of the brand. And she may have been one of the very first to be sponsored by an internet company. Yeah, I, I, yeah we, might, we might have been one of the first. The internet was in its early, early stages at that point. And, you know, we just, we just tried to really do some fun, inventive and creative marketing. From Lycos, did you went back into the world of CPG? I did. Um, so for me, I had learned a ton at Lycos and, you know, the internet in its early days was, I would call it boom splat. So the internet was rising and growing so dramatically. And then it kind of hit a wall and people were really questioning the medium in the early 2000s. And what happened was a lot of the advertising revenue, which, you know, they're basically media companies. So the advertising revenue that we were generating from all the eyeballs that we were attracting, people started to get much more cautious. And so our, our revenue started to decline a little bit. And I would say we got, we got acquired by a company called Telefonica, which is a Spanish telecommunications company. And we became a little bit conservative and really stopped trying to improve our product and investing in product development and started to reduce our marketing funding and investment. And what we saw is our market share of traffic started to decline. And then, you know, so therefore advertising revenue for your company starts to decline. And, you know, we went from a very strong position to, to a trailing position. So I, uh, I, I stepped back and I said, you know, what am I really good at and what do I have great experience in? And I had, you know, nine years at Pepsi. So I said, I was in Boston. And I said, what's the biggest, best packaged goods company in Boston? And it was Gillette, which has an amazing brand. And it's, you know, they, they've done amazing marketing in terms of um, utilizing sports, which I'm a big sports, sports fan. And, you know, it's a male targeted brand. So I just thought it would be a ton of fun. I, uh, I networked my way in there through BBDO, which was my ad agency at Pepsi and also, coincidentally, um, Gillette's ad agency. So I leveraged some of my relationships there to get me in the door and so thankful to have that opportunity. You mentioned sports, which is, uh, you know, obviously at Gillette, that was a big part of their brand efforts, but that's also something that you did uh, while you were at Intel as well, correct? Yeah, we, um, we really utilize sports as a, a brand building platform at Intel. And, you know, at Intel, what we really tried to do was reposition the brand from a, an ingredient brand to an experience brand. And what I mean by that is Intel had been marketing the brand as technology, a microprocessor, primarily that's inside of personal computers. But Intel's impact in the world is so enormous. Intel's technology is pervasive in society. The company's technology is part of really almost everything that you see that's connected. And you know, my job was really to help connect the inside, so our technology inside, to the amazing experiences that it enables on the outside. And to do that, we had a surprise and delight the consumer in terms of showcasing 
all the different things that Intel technology can do and all the places that it's in that you never would have thought of. And, you know, we also needed to re-engage the youth market. And a big thrust behind our marketing to the youth market was to market through their passion points. And their passion points around music, entertainment, sports, fashion, and gaming. So uh, most of our marketing activation was creating these amazing experiences that started with the technology that's inside and connected it to an amazing experience on the outside through passion points of millennials. And that's why we really um, leveraged, leveraged sports as a big part of our marketing and brand efforts. When I think about Intel, I read a stat recently, I think 98% of all internet, any, like host services, all, basically everything that's running the cloud is run on Intel's product. Whether yeah, I'm not gonna quote, or chips or something like that. I mean, it was it was a it was a number or a percentage that I was just like blown away by. Yeah, I think I think the key the key about Intel is people th- thought of it no longer because I think the company has done a great job in terms of its transformation. But people thought of it as primarily a microprocessor inside of PCs, and yet things like cloud computing and supercomputers and basically the connected world, Intel has you know technology that really enables that. So when you're dealing with a brand where you don't see it, but it's embedded in a lot of the products that they buy, whether it be computers, tablets, what kind of challenges does that present to a marketer to try to build that brand when it's not like they're actually going and picking it up and and holding that product necessarily by itself in in their hands? Intel as an ingredient brand is not really unlike a lot of other companies. So if you think about the telecommunication companies, so Verizon or an AT&T, their product is somewhat invisible as well. And it's really, it's really manifest itself through, uh, through other people's devices. So it's, it's similar, but yet they've created points of differentiation between AT&T and Verizon and Sprint and whoever. The, the key is to make, is to connect what your, what your technology is to the experience that the product delivers, which is how we approached it. We weren't getting enough credit for the product experience so it's our job to connect the inside, like I said, the, ins- the technology inside with the experience that it enabled on the outside. So just make Intel a critical part of how people use the products and the experience that they get from the products that they buy. Make sure that they know that it's Intel technology that's a part of that product experience. So really building more value in the brand itself. You always have to build value in your brand because you want to make your brand a critical part of the decision-making process. You want to make your brand um, worth paying more for. You want to make your brand something that people want to work on and work for the company. You want to make your brand something that has credibility to expand in, and extend into new markets. So absolutely, it's all about, it's all about increasing the, the value of your brand. Well, and, and it works because I just recently uh, bought a new uh, you know, a Surface tablet. And a big part of my decision-making was, what processor am I going to pay for? And there was a big difference in prices based on which one I chose. And, you know, all the research led back to going with a certain processor, which was actually an Intel processor that allowed the performance and speed, everything to be a lot quicker. So it definitely worked and it influenced ultimately what I ended up buying and how much I ended up paying. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the, it is the world's best processor and the world's best Intel makes the world's best products. But from a marketing standpoint, we have to make, we have to educate the consumer on, on our point of difference and make them willing to pay more for products. So, you know, since we're already talking about Intel, kind of a lot of those elements of what you were doing while you were there would help transforming it. I mean, 
you've had the experience now to kind of do brand transformation at several places. I think both Staples and at Intel. I mean, when you walk in the door as the CMO, how do you identify that even if sales are strong, because in the case of Intel, sales were really strong, but the brand had somehow lost its way and the, and the value hadn't, is it wasn't where it should have been. How do you identify and quantify that it's time that we need to revamp what this brand represents? In both cases, I would say, so at Staples, the company had been known as an office products retailer. So basically store-based retailer that sells primarily, um, primarily office products. And the strategy was really to shift more of the business online towards our staples.com business, as well as there was a B2B business called Staples Business Advantage. And then also dramatically expand the product assortment. So really becoming more of a marketplace for business. So that strategy was developed by a whole host of people outside of marketing. So marketing, I would say, enabled the transformation. We didn't define it. Similar at Intel, the PC business has been flattish over the past several years, but what they called the data-centric businesses, so things like cloud computing and the data center, IoT, all of the and emerging technologies like autonomous driving and VR and all of that are experiencing dramatic growth. So again, that strategy was defined for marketing, and it was marketing's job to help transition and enable the transformation. So what was the very first step that you took when you had to do that? <laughs> yeah, the, ver- the, fir- the very first thing that we did was really just to help understand and ground the team in how Intel was perceived and how it was perceived by many different um, constituents. So how it was perceived by our employees, how it was perceived by our customers, and looking at different kinds of customers, whether it was business customers or consumers, and different age groups. So older consumers, millennials, et cetera. On the business side, from IT professionals and senior business decision makers, some more line business people, understanding how the investment community thought of Intel, how the media thought of Intel, how industry thought leaders thought of Intel. So really just getting a very good understanding and grounding of how is Intel perceived, and where are, you know, where are the opportunities to strengthen, to strengthen our reputation and to enable that transformation and how people think about, about the company? You got to Intel in 2014. You left, uh, I believe, recently in 2018. So there's a four-year period that you were, you're there where this transformation took place. How much of that time was invested in transforming the Intel brand? Well, yeah, it started, it started almost immediately as soon as, as, soon as I got there that um, the strategy was really developed to kind of shift the company's focus to more data-centric businesses. So we started hitting the ground running um, in 2014. I think we launched, maybe 2014, 2015, I think we launched our brand transformation campaign to basically open people's eyes up to all the things and all the technologies that Intel was a part of in 2016. So it's about a year, year and a half of development work. And we developed the campaign idea. And then we, we literally did a global roadshow. So we went around the world and helped create, honestly, brand ambassadors from the inside before we ever marketed the brand on the outside. And I always felt that if the people who work at your company don't really care about what you're doing and what the brand stands for, why would anyone who doesn't work at the company care? So we had to create, I would call it a culture of true believers in the strength and the power of 
the transformation and the role of the brand in, in, in achieving that vision. So it took about a year and a half to develop it. And then we launched in 2016 and then I left in, uh, in 2018. So about two years of, of activation against the, uh, the brand revitalization. So would you say that's probably one of the, the most critical steps of that transformation is making sure you get the evangelists, the internal buy-in from everybody where they're all on board 100%. They're drinking the Kool-Aid so that when it's time to flip the switch for external transformation, everything is in line. Well, I think that's really important to, to have consistency in terms of how people are thinking about and valuing the brand. But it's also, you have to do something that breaks through. It's a very noisy world out there. You know, everyone's talking about their brands and their products, and you have to make people care. You know, care about your product and what you're doing and how it can create a better world for themselves or their children or their coworkers or whatever. So you have to, you have to connect your brand to their world and make it meaningful for them to pay any attention to what you're doing. Well, it certainly can't hurt either that Intel has one of the most iconic sounds there is when you were talking about consumer awareness. <laughs> I inherited amazing assets in terms of, obviously, the strength and awareness of the brand. Uh, the word inside is this, this word that, you know, you, with any brand, people want to own a single word. And with Intel, we had, we had that word that we owned, which was the word inside. And then we had um, that mnemonic, which was the, the bong. And we always used to say that the bong is the most, second most recognized sound in the world, except for a baby, baby crying. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know necessarily if it's true, but it was a great marketing, <laughs> it was a great marketing thing to say. And so how do we use those assets in a way that helped us pivot to the future? So I didn't want to throw out the word inside. I didn't want to throw out the bong. I didn't want to throw out, obviously, all the, the goodness around Intel. So it's how do we, how do we use it to, help enable the, the future versus discarding all the amazing things that the company had done before we even started on this. So what were those, like, what was probably the, the most important things you did with those assets then to really make that happen? So the very first thing is, is we came up with a new brand promise and a new tagline. And the brand promise was around, you know, I talked earlier about connecting the technology inside with the experience on the outside. Yeah. So Intel's brand promise became Intel makes amazing experiences possible. You know, again, you can't just, you can't just talk about an experience brand. You actually got to do it. So therefore a lot of our marketing activation was all around creating these amazing experiences that our technology can deliver that surprised and delighted, you know, all the people watching it. And then the word inside, you know, the tagline at one point was Intel, just Intel inside. And when I came, I think it was called look inside and we, we pivoted, to con again, to be consistent with the strategy around being an experience brand, we, we, we changed the tagline to experience what's inside, which is exactly what we want people to do. Our technology is inside, but we wanted them to experience what they couldn't see and what's inside that helps deliver these amazing product experiences that they use. And then the bong, I didn't, I didn't address that. So the bong, it combined Beethoven's Fifth Symphony with the bong. And you might think like, that's crazy. How do you do that? And they did it in a way that was just creatively brilliant. And it, so it, it, and it sounds crazy because you're talking about Beethoven, but it actually contemporized the bong. We didn't throw out those notes, but we connected it to Beethoven's fifth. And we also had just amazing visuals. And again, about all these different types of technologies that you would never think Intel was a part of and created this brand anthem that I think was pretty impactful. So what are you up to these days? 
So I'm really thinking about um, what do I want to do per permanently. I've been I've been doing a couple of advisory works. I'm interviewing for some board positions, and I've been also talking to people about permanent CMO roles. I want to be really selective and choiceful. I feel like I can. I've worked for some of the most amazing companies and have had some of the most amazing experiences. And so I want to be really choiceful in terms of, of what, I, what I do. My experience now lies in packaged goods, um, working at Pepsi and Procter & Gamble. It lies in retail from Staples and e-commerce and with my recent experience at Intel. So in an ideal world, I'd leverage all or at least some of my experiences versus doing something completely, completely different. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of nice too, because you're kind of chapter two, right? With this, you can sit there and you have the ability to really decide where and what you want to engage with. And that's got to be a really good position to be in, be involved in boards as you want, do advisory work, consulting, invest, whatever. With every move that I've made, I've always tried to step back and say, is marketing going to be valued? So is marketing going to play a critical role in whatever the company's objectives are? Is it going to be a fun business? Is it... Is it going to allow me to learn new things and acquire new new skills? I've always been around continuous learning and making sure that what I do is not just a repeat of what I've done in the past. So I always I have I'm very inquisitive and really have this thirst for knowledge. And you know I always try to try to do something that's familiar because you don't want to fail, but at the same time unfamiliar in terms of it offers a new experience. So. I'm trying to sort through all of that and make the right decision. That's good. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that. Hopefully we'll get you back on wherever you land next. But as we kind of start heading to the end of the show, I wanted to ask one last question, which is back to reflection. You've had all these amazing experiences, the companies you've worked for, uh, the brands that you've represented, having all this knowledge. If you could go back in time to when you were just starting out your career, what would be the one single piece of advice that you would give yourself? It's part of what I talked about before that your career is, you should actually think about your career in the same way that you think about developing a marketing plan and making sure that with every step of the plan, it builds on the things that you've done in the past. You know, now that I look at it, it's, it's really, you got to plot out your career when you start and say, where, where do I want to go and what do I want to achieve? And what are the best, what are the skills that I need to acquire and what are the right roles you know, and maybe they may be aspirational and that's fine, but what are the right roles that you need to get to achieve your vision? So it all starts about like, what is it that you want to achieve? You know, for me, I feel very fortunate. I had great experiences and great companies and great brands that I got to work on and I, I had a lot of success, but I didn't really necessarily think about it in terms of this long journey. With each move, I think I was very thoughtful in terms of what's next, but I didn't really plot out the entire field of vision from the get-go. So I think that's that's really critical. The, the other thing looking back is you tend to try to do everything yourself, you know, and it's not a matter of you don't trust people, but marketing's so visible and, you know, you can, <laughs> you, you get judged constantly on the work that you do and you always trust your own instincts, right? Better, better than anyone else's. But success is actually leading through others and trusting others and developing capability and surrounding yourself with talent that's better than you and people that have different skills than you. And, you know, that's a lesson that I've learned over time, but, you know, I think it all starts with, with your team and a unique set of skills that each person brings and really being very thoughtful around who do you partner with and who do you surround yourself with and who do you hire versus trying to do everything yourself and making your own, your own mark because you're more successful 
through others than you'll ever be on your own. Do you see that a lot of people have that problem with letting go and letting and trusting other people? I do, especially in marketing, because you start out at a junior level and you're tasked to be the doer, right? And you're doing all the stuff. And it's like, as you grow up in marketing, hey, you like, you like doing the work, so you enjoy it, right? So you always want to do it. And, you know, but the reality is as you get more senior in marketing, there's lots of more demands on your time and you get involved in lots of issues actually that are not really just doing the work. But yet you always want to just do the work because that's what you love doing. So yeah, I do, I do see it with marketers that they tend to try to, you know, do more of it themselves versus really letting go and leading through others. It's definitely something I, I, I hear from a lot of marketers. They, they say the same thing where from a leadership standpoint, it is knowing when to step back and just trust the fact that you're hiring the right people to be able to do the right work and execute it. Yeah. The other thing that I, the other lesson learned, I think, is that marketing is, it's typically a, typically a support function. Um, in some companies, in some industries like consumer packaged goods, it's not a support function, but in most it is. And in order to be successful in your role, in marketing's role within the company, it's the cross-functional collaboration that really matters. So it's building the bridges with sales. It's building the bridges with HR. It's building the bridges with the product groups. It's building the bridges with IT, um, with finance, et cetera. So that's a real lesson that I think you learn over time that it isn't, it isn't even just a matter of, are we doing great marketing work that is really creative and that's doing well? It's really the softer side, honestly, about um, becoming an integral part and valued part of the company and hearing everyone's view about what they need for marketing and incorporating all of that in, in your marketing plans versus just driving your own agenda. It's really critical that you you deliver really the comp- what the company needs, not just necessarily what you think marketing needs. I think the collaboration part with your internal partners is vital. Yeah, marketing now has just as much technical elements to it with all the sciences that IT has by itself. I mean, it's, it's crazy how much it's so important to have those advocates in your corner. Yeah. And then the last thing you just mentioned it, Rusty, is marketing is this continuous thing. It never stops. Like you may think you, you may think you've mastered marketing, but tomorrow there's going to be a new tool, a new capability, a new way of reaching consumers, a new way of driving engagement that you'll know nothing about. So you, you have to constantly stay up on trends and evolve your skills because you can get outdated very quickly in marketing. You, you need to never stop learning because marketing never stops changing. What do you think the best ways for CMOs in particular to stay current? I mean, and it does, is evolving rapidly. I mean, just marketing automation, social. I think there's a lot of ways. I think you gotta, um, you got to constantly look at your, your team and bring in new capabilities and new talent. People have different skills that your team doesn't and you learn from them. I think you have to create a peer network because another CMO in another company could be doing something very different than what you're doing. And there's things that you can help him or her with that and in turn, there are things that they can help you with. And lots of companies are willing to do, you know, shared learning and all of that. So I think that's really critical. I think your agency partners um, and people that you really respect in the industry, thought leaders, academics, you know, all these people to, to, it's critical to establish relationships with them because they have, in many cases, more visibility, broader visibility to the world of marketing outside of the company. You're, you're so focused on your company and your brands they have much greater visibility and broader visibility to, to the world of marketing that can really help you 
So I think it's really critical to develop those relationships, peer relationships and external relationships, and then your, your team keep on bringing in new capabilities and new talent. Yeah. Yeah, definitely staying sharp. So uh, I think that's all great advice. And I know it was more than one, but I think it just kind of led itself into so many other things that, you know, all the lessons learned throughout your career, which is really important. I think it's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. Oh, you're welcome. It's been, it's been a fun journey. Um, you know, marketing is, uh, it's a tough career. <laughs> you know, you, uh, it's, it's not always so fun and, you know, marketing is in the eye of the storm in a lot of, in a lot of companies, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, it's been um, an amazing journey and, you know, totally not done looking for, for what's next and what's the next great brand challenge and just keep on doing what I'm doing. Well, I'm excited to watch it and hear what, what is coming next. And uh, so promise me that the next, uh, once you know where you're going to go and you get settled, we'll be able to get you back on and, and talk about what is next. Oh, I'd be happy to. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Well, that's going to be it for today. Uh, Stephen, I appreciate you being on. And you know, if there's anything else you want to share with us, let me know. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. <laughs>